everybody. Welcome back to the Elise DeLucci Show. I'm your host, Elise. Welcome to my living room. We're broadcasting live as usual from my living room on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Let me tell you what we're talking about today. Episode 13, how we choose our partners. Like, innately, we choose our partners that have the most negative qualities of our parents. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And then um, an A spot. What the hell is an A spot? How to find your A spot? I mean, really, like, I don't even know what this is, but we're talking about it. And also, how do you handle rude coworkers? Do you work? You have rude coworkers? We're talking about that. Okay, so take a sip of your drink. Stay tuned. Relax. And listen to me, Elise. Okay, back to the day. Do you know your cell phone is full of bacteria? You probably know this, but I, I didn't know this. I was, for some reason, I was looking stuff up on bacteria and I, uh, I came across this and it says, according to some, some research by British scientists, the average cell phone carries 18 times more potentially harmful germs than the toilet handle, wait for this, in the men's bathroom. Yes, right, exactly. So your cell phone has 18 times more germs than the handle in the men's bathroom. I mean, men, they go to, they open, okay, let's talk about this. Men, they go in the door, they open up the doorknob, they go to the urinal, they take that thing out, they do their business, what, they flush it, and you're telling me that my cell phone has more germs than that flushing handle? Ugh, disgusting. But it's a fact. And it's disgusting. Anyway, so, how are you? How was your week? My, my week was okay. Um, my week, my week I was okay. You know, it was raining. It was raining in New York for like what felt like days. It was raining for like, I don't know. It was days. It was like three days straight, like 72 hours of just complete, complete rain. And, you know, Halloween was on Saturday. So that was interesting this year. Um, you know, it uh, thankfully, by the way, it did not rain on Halloween. So that was good. That was about the only good thing of Halloween that it didn't rain. I posted um, a couple TikToks about this. I can't be- I just can't believe what Halloween was in Manhattan this year. In my neighborhood on the Upper East Side, it was nothing. There was there was no kids out. There was no kids out. There was no trick or treating. There was nothing. Not a morsel of candy to be had. I did not put out candy outside my door. It was really sad. My building, though, canceled trick-or-treating. We got a notice a couple of uh, weeks ago saying that trick-or-treating's off. So I knew what to expect in my building. But but, um, but going out, I thought that for sure I was going to see other kids dressed up. So my two daughters, they were witches, so cute. And by the way, I reused costumes. I reused their costumes from a few years ago because I knew Halloween wasn't going to be all crazy this year. So I said, you know what, girls? Mommy's going to reuse your costumes It'll be nice. We'll do the witch makeup, blah, blah, blah. They were cool with it. But on the actual days, we get all dressed up. We get outside. Not a child in sight. I couldn't believe it. I was I was upset, you know, and I was upset for them. Um, my my older daughter was sort of like holding my hand, clutching onto me as we were walking through the blocks. And she was like, Mommy, why isn't there any anyone in Halloween costumes? And I, I was like, yeah, oh, what's the virus, you know? And I just felt like such a shitty parent. Like, I probably should have taken them somewhere outside the city, you know? Like, one of my girlfriends invited me to Staten Island and said, oh, why don't you come here trick-or-treating? But I was like, no, you know, even though there's not candy and shit this year, I'm sure there'll be something. I'm sure there'll be the kids out on the Upper East Side. No. And so I asked you guys on TikTok where, how it was in your areas, and apparently it was exactly the same. There was not that much action. Oh, just so shitty. I mean, what, what else are they going to take away from the kids, you know? Anyway, 
So I think I'm late to the game on this, but have you guys heard of Biden Beauty? So, okay, so it, this it's election week, obviously, and uh, election day is um, November 3rd, and I did not know this, but there there was a beauty brand created to support Joe Biden. It was called Biden Beauty. Um, the website, it was bidenbeauty.com, but then the website changed to verygoodleft.com. So if you go to Google and you type in Biden Beauty, you'll be redirected to a website called verygoodleft.com. But basically what it was, it was a Joe Biden theme makeup makeup brand. It came out on September 30th, and it wasn't officially tied to the Biden-Harris uh, presidential campaign, but it did raise money to support it. So 100% of the proceeds were being donated to, uh, the, to the Biden-Harris presidential campaign, um, for the DNC. And, uh, I thought that that was kind of genius. I mean, I don't, I actually don't know, um, who, who, who came out with this idea, but you know what? Like obviously shock value products are, uh, will obviously pick up a lot of press. This did get a lot of press. Again, I'm sorry that I had no idea that this existed, but they were selling, they were selling a few things. They were selling, um, makeup sponges for $20. Really? $20. Are you going to buy a Biden beauty makeup sponge for $20? But you know what? For $20, I guess it counts as a donation and get a makeup sponge out of it, right? So they were selling makeup sponges, a Biden, a Joe Biden hoodie that was 46 bucks, a $15 tote bag, um, and then they were selling, you know, buttons and stickers for, I think, about like $10. So I, last I checked on Very Good Left, you could still buy a tote bag if you want. I do not want to. I just am sharing with this, sharing this information with you. Uh, I, I don't want to buy, I don't just, I just don't want to buy anything that has any political anything on it. I just, you know, I, I keep that stuff to myself. I just don't, you know, like I, I just feel like in this day and age, sometimes, you know, you got to just keep your shit to yourself. Like I, I'm going to go and I'm going to vote, but I don't need to flaunt everything around. I mean, the city's freaking crazy right now. I mean, God, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know, you know? So anyway, I thought that was just silly. I thought it was a silly thing, a silly, wonderful thing. But if you want to learn more about it, verygoodleft.com. This is not an advertisement, by the way. This is just literally something that I found and I thought that maybe you would find funny because I did. Okay, the other thing I need to tell you guys is, uh, this is kind of on the bacteria note. I, this is clearly on my head these days. Why the hell are my sponges in my sink stinking? Do your sponges stink? Okay, so, I, so here's the deal. I usually use one of those brushes, you know, like the with the handle. I buy it in Home Goods. You know, it's like the plastic handle with a thing on the, the bottom. You know, that's what I use to, to do my, my scrubbing in the kitchen. But I my, my brush had its day. I had no refill brushes. The head looked like it was smashed to smithereens and a car drove over it, okay? So I had a pack of sponges, like Scotch-Brite or whatever, under my sink. I took it out. I You know, I used it. And, um, and the next day I went to the sponge and it stunk. I, I, first of all, I, I did, I did washing the second day. My hands, they smelled like mildew. I was walking around like, what the hell did I just do? And then I realized it was a sponge, but so of course I had to look it up and, and okay. When you're talking about sponges, forget cell phones. Um, one of the filthiest items in your house. Okay. One of the filthiest items in your house, 362 kinds of bacteria live in a per square centimeter piece of your sponge. I just read that. I just read that off the sheet. 
How disgusting. How disgusting is that? So I put the sponge in the dishwasher because I didn't know what to do. I read that you could put sponges in the dishwasher. I put this filthy, stinky sponge in the dishwasher. And you know what? It didn't smell as bad, but then I reused it and it smelled again. So I said, fuck this shit. I'm done with this. So I wound up going um, online. I ordered the Scrub Daddy. I love it. You know that one? It's like a big yellow sponge. It has a smiley face on it. It's really good. Um, I was on, I think it was on Shark Tank a bunch of years ago. But then also, uh, one of my girlfriends recommended another sponge to me. She found on Amazon. It was called Peachy Clean Silicone Scrubber. I bought those two. I didn't use them yet, but it, it was like 10 bucks for a pack of three. Apparently, it had the sponge itself has like a peach sort of scent to it. I don't want my cup smelling like peach, though, so I'm a little hesitant, okay? But but apparently, it's good. It doesn't stink. It's soft. It doesn't scratch things, so I'm going to try it out. The peach silicone scrubber sponge. That This is what this podcast is about. It's a podcast about nothing. <laughs> my boyfriend said to me, so Elise, what are you talking about on your podcast? I said, first of all, you're about to be my ex-boyfriend, because why aren't you listening? Not that I really expect him to listen, but, you know, come on. He was basically walked into that one, you know. But uh, but I said, oh, you know, I was like, it's just a podcast about nothing. I'm like, I'm not trying to be Jerry Seinfeld or anything. I said, I'm not trying to be anything. I, I just feel that, you know, I just want to talk to some girls. And they probably want to talk as well. So it's like we're sitting in my living room together, you know. And I would do it from my kitchen, by the way, my kitchen table, which I would prefer. Which I would prefer. Because if you were really at my house, I would invite you in. And I would say, come sit down. We want a cup of coffee, and we'll sit, and we'll, we'll talk of, talk whatever we want to talk about at, over coffee, and I probably will take out an Entenmann's pound cake out of the freezer <laughs> that's six months old, and I'll ask you if you want a slice. And you'll say yes, because you know what? I'll heat it up, and I'll have whipped cream, and it'll be delicious. But anyway, but I'm doing it for my living room because I have a lazy boy recliner here. That's right. It's a glamorous one, though. Anyway, so um, I was thinking about this idea on how – we choose our partners. You know, and obviously I say this a million times, I'm divorced, whatever, I'm dating, I have a boyfriend. But, uh, you know, when I think about why did my marriage work out, you know, or whatever, did I choose the wrong person or whatever? And uh, it got me thinking about how do we choose our partners. And so I once had a therapist a few years ago who was really great. Um, He didn't take my insurance though, so I had to stop seeing him after a while. But he told me that, We have imaginary antennas up on our head and we basically are attracting partners that have the most negative qualities of our parents. It is a thing. It's called attractions of deprivation. So, I mean, this is so fucked up to say, but like, say for example, you had a verbally abusive parent and, you know, you just had that behavior coming at you your whole entire life. And that's sort of what you're pre-wired to. Essentially what he was saying, my therapist, and this this theory, this attractions of deprivation is that you will, when you go out into the world, when you're an adult and you go to seek a partner, subconsciously, you might seek out a partner that also would be verbally abusive. Not because you think that that's the right thing to do. You know that you shouldn't be with the boy, a man, whatever, woman, whoever you're with, that's going to be abusive to you, right? But it's just, I guess, the way you're wired. And I'm not saying that's why my marriage didn't work out. I actually did the exact opposite. In my my personal marriage, my, my, my marriage to my first husband, um, as if I have 10 husbands, darling, as if I'm collecting them like Matryoshka dolls. But no, but you know, it's like my husband, my ex-husband, um, he had, he had like zero qualities of 
my two parents, but I, but he was foreign and he like was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in England and then moved out to Australia and then the parents lived in Wales and then he wound up growing up some parts of his life in Wales and blah, blah, blah. So that was like the exact friggin' opposite. I feel like I went the opposite. But I do realize that I probably do do this with other guys. Anyway, there's a book that I love by Harville Hendricks. Do you know this guy? Um, he's just so amazing. And the book is called Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. I first heard of this book on Oprah 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Maybe even longer, maybe 15 years ago. And um, for whatever reason, I think she had Harville Hendricks on the show. And she was raving about it. And she loves this book. And I and maybe this is when the book first came out. I don't know. But I didn't really think that she was just plugging the book. I really, for whatever reason, whatever she was saying, I believed that she loved this book. So I wound up buying it eventually, you know, it, you know, as years went on. And uh, it's amazing. I totally recommend it. Basically, it, it, it's this whole theory. It explains how our childhood experiences lead us to choose um, the, the people that we do, the partners that we do. And basically, it's uh, it's based on like this Freudian perspective. And, and the whole book talks about why we choose the partners that we do. And then, it, and then it talks about how can you improve your relationship. It gives you practical examples and exercises and the whole bit. But, um, you know, I have a girlfriend and... Um, I feel sorry for her. She had she grew up with a mother that was hypercritical, super demanding, and um, and she was she's divorced and she was saying to me, Elise, like I don't know, like I'm 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 picking these guys and they're like they pick on me. They tell me, oh, you should wear this. Oh, you're not doing this. Oh, empty the dishwasher like this. And and she's like, I don't I don't really understand why I'm doing that. And uh, you know, I'm just listening to her as a friend. And then she went to a therapist. And they sort of got to the bottom of it. And it was this exact thing. It all went back to the fact that she had this mother that was hypercritical, demanded things of her. And she went out and s- s- sought a husband that did the same. Um, you know, and she just never felt, I felt so sorry for her because she just never felt competent in her mother's eyes and when she was growing up. And then when she was married, she just never felt like she was good enough. Um, she, it was like she never felt love like the same way that she didn't feel love from the mother she didn't feel it from the husband um and you know that's so sad obviously but I think that we all do stuff like that I know I do um and it's just this whole idea in the book Harville Hendrick talks about Hendricks talks about how we have these unresolved um hurts from our childhood whatever and they, they could be from various things shame abandonment manipulation judgment all from our caregivers and then what we wind up doing is we this all we have this all programmed into our sub, sub, subconscious, excuse me, <clears throat> and we go out with these antennas up, find some partners that do the exact damn thing. They shame us, they judge us, they abandon us. And, you know, I mean, listen, what it really comes down to is we have to take ownership and, right, like on who we're choosing as our partners. But apparently... The whole basis of this whole thing is that as human beings, we gravitate towards the familiar. And, like, obviously we gravitate towards the familiar. Like, okay, after I got out of college, I moved to Manhattan, right? And and I lived in Manhattan, you know, all throughout my 20s and yada, yada. And as my friends started to get married, I mean, you know all this. I mean, like, this happened, definitely happened to you guys, too. As all my friends started to get engaged, get serious, get married, what did they do? They moved back home to where they were from. Most most often than not. So they move back home. 
did they want to live that kind of suburban life? I don't know. Some of them I know they did not. But they did it because it was familiar. And this is this whole idea is that we're drawn to things that are familiar. If somebody treats us a certain way when we're growing up, we're going to be drawn to that. Like for me, okay, for example, I'm going to give you an example. I was bullied so bad when I was growing up, terribly bullied, like by kids in the neighborhood as I got old, when I was growing up in Staten Island, as I got older, um, you know, I had this like scratchy, funny sounding voice that these kids were so mean. Kids are horrible. They're horrific. Um, they called me froggy and they, you know, they, they thought I was like a guy and like a woman's body, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and it, it was terrible. And for whatever reason, um, I grew up just feeling like, you know, people were bullies and, and, um, and for, but I almost found comfort in it, which is so sick because there was these friends that I wanted to hang out with, or I did hang out with in my neighborhood and my block. And the only way that I was hanging out with them was when they were bullying me. And, but when I was with them, I felt I was included. Um, I felt like I was a part of something. I was a part of a big gang of friends that were all laughing and having fun and playing games on the street, manhunt, whatever games we, you know, we play on in Staten Island. Um, and then so sometimes as an adult, when I was a younger adult, if I met somebody that, you know, was sort of like sarcastic or maybe said something obnoxious or, you know, like maybe I don't I don't even know if they bullied me, but whatever. It was like I was drawn to that. It's fucked up, you know? But the thing is, is like they it really the people say is that what with all this research and these these books say is that, you know, if you grow up in a um, securely attached home, you know, where your two primary caretakers, your parents, they, they taught you, if they, if your two parents taught you how to be loving, trustworthy, dependable, and they, they exhibited that to you. If they showed you tons of love and they told you they were always dependable and they were, they were always there for you, no matter what you could trust them. That's great. And that means that you have, you grew up with a secure attachment, right? You, you're securely attached to your parents. This stuff might not apply to you. This might not apply to you, but for those of us, okay, that might have grown up in, in in households that where we were insecurely attached, maybe maybe there was maybe there was some sort of craziness that went on, um, maybe there was abandonment that gone on, maybe you had you know some you know narcissistic parent, um, maybe you had you know someone that was just never around, you know, and a sort of an absentee parent. This stuff is dangerous. This stuff is dangerous because we take all that shit and then. We go and fucking meet a guy that does does the exact stuff. So, I don't know. I you know, the issue really is is like when we're dating somebody that's like our parents. It's like oh, like this feels familiar and it feels nice. But does it feel nice? Does it feel nice? Or are you recreating some some minute you know trauma from your childhood? And I'm not listen listen. And by the way, for everybody listening, says I'm not saying that we all had trauma in our childhood. I'm not saying that I've even had trauma in my childhood. I've had fucking shit. I've had a lot of fucking shit go on. But um, but it's just just those little quirky things that maybe you grew up with a father that yelled all the time, and then there you go marrying marrying a husband that that has a giant mouth screaming out all day long. But essentially, it comes down to we seek the same pleasure. You know, that we felt the same pleasure or the same pain that we felt as a child. It's fucked up, but that's the deal. So it's like, you know, where did, you know, then then when my girlfriend, when she sort of figured this out, that it came from, you know, the mother, it was like, is your, you know, it came down to like, well, is your relationship so, is it just like a repeat of your childhood? Is this like a pattern that you're just always going to follow? 
your whole life, some repetitive fucked up pattern. You're going to have to find a way to break it. Um, so unfortunately for her, it was, and she had to work with a therapist and find a way to break the pattern. They, they call this, um, there's something, I think it's called like repetition compulsion or something, but it's, but, or patterning, you know, if you Google patterning or anything like that, you could find it. But all I can say is a good therapist goes a very long way. I have, I have a therapist for a lot of years now. Um, and I loved him. I love him. I've had multiple therapists uh, throughout the years, but I found somebody I really loved. And, and I feel that, like, for me, any sort of um, craziness that I had growing up and in terms of picking partners, you know, I have that sort of under control, um, you know, with the therapist. But it's crazy, right? 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 Anyway. Do you know what an A spot is? Do you know? Honestly, honestly, I was talking to another girlfriend. Another girlfriend. She's talking about the C spot, the G spot. She's like, yeah, at least, you know, there's the A spot. I'm like, the what? First of all, what the fuck is the C spot? I heard of the G spot. What's the A, the C spot? She goes, oh, that's the clitoris. I'm like, okay, TMI, we're in Dunkin' Donuts. Will you please, honestly, I'm taking a bite into my Boston cream, and this is what we're talking about right now. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> you know, and of course, like, you're not allowed to sit in Dunkin' Donuts, so we're just standing there talking about this stuff. Anyway. Um, but you know, so that's the C spot. I didn't even know it had a freaking name. I guess I'm living under a rock these days. And then, and then there's the G spot. Okay, fine. And then there's the A spot. So, okay. I'm going to tell you what she told me about this A spot. I can't even deal with this right now. She tells me the A spot, it's located further up in your vaginal canal above your G spot, closer to your cervix. I said to her, how am I supposed to know how to get there? If I don't even know what above the G spot is, like the G spot could be in my fucking calf for all I know. Okay. (laughs) But, um, you know, she's like, well, you get sex toys. You can read about it. And I'm just like, oh yeah, you know what? No, no. Uh, Maybe, maybe I'll get sex toys or read about trying to find the G spot, but the A spot, I can't, maybe you know about this. I don't know. And then, uh, but uh, you know, but of course she's like, let me show it to you on the phone. I'm like, okay. So she pulled it up on the phone, and it says that it's an, it's un, when you stimulate this spot inside you, it's uncomfortable, um, you know, because it's like you, basically around your cervix. And I'm like thinking, is that like when they put the IUD in? Because if that's what that feels like, that's like that feels like the most painful of all hell. Having put getting the IUD put in, I almost died. They put the thing in, inside you, they wind this shit up, and then they shove some some coil or whatever in there. And I think that's near your cervix. I could even be wrong. I don't know. All I know is that there was something going in and it, it made me so, it was the most excruciating pain. And I'm just assuming that's the A spot. But um, I have no interest. Maybe you do. And if you do, what she told me is that if you want to do the A spot with your partner, you should stand, you know, have sex. I would be, in, be doing sexy time. And stand with your hands on the wall or on the bed or on a table while your partner goes in you from behind and maybe you'll be lucky to hit the A spot. Well, you want to know what? That's great if you're going to try that. I am not because not that I'm not adventurous, but I just, I I, I need to worry about other things. (laughs) Anyway. You probably know about this. I am probably late to the party as per usual when it comes to some stuff like this, but that's okay. Um, anyway, do you have rude coworkers? 
you have any rude coworkers? I, uh, my coworkers are lovely. They're lovely people. Of course I have to say that. <laughs> no, they are. They're very nice. They're very nice. I mean, um, it's actually a little crazy because, you know, we're all working from home. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of the, if you want to establish new relationships with people that you haven't met in person, you know, if someone new joins the team or whatever, that, that's hard. But, but all my coworkers are lovely. For the new ones, they also seem lovely. Um, but, oh, I can say throughout my career, I most certainly have had my fair share of rude rudies, rude rudies, rude coworkers. Um, and, uh, what the fuck do you do? What do you do when you got a rude coworker? What do you do? Because, because you have to play this game. You have to be politically correct, saunter about, keep your mouth shut, nod and smile, dress like a chameleon, you know, looking like you just walked out of a Brooks Brothers catalog. Like, I can't. So then somebody's rude. If they were rude like that to you on the street, I'd be like, go fuck yourself, Okay. Like, really. Or you might go have go get yourself a martini and just ignore them. But at work, oh, no, you cannot. You're in a boardroom. You're in a meeting. Or maybe it's your cube neighbor. And somebody's being an asshole to you. What the fuck do you do? When somebody's being an asshole to you, what do you do? So this is what they say to do. There's a few different ways, okay? When I say they, I'm talking about, like, these researchers on rudeness, okay? And also... Some shit like uh, Dale Carnegie, you know, how to, uh, what is it, win friends and influence people, uh, whatever that book is. But anyway, they say, okay, so when somebody's rude to you at work, here's a few different strategies. You could count to 10, count to 10 and breathe, take your breaths in and out, and you could say, does this really matter? Is this person really important? Is this worth losing my shit over? Okay, that's good. That I, I do that a lot. I do do that a lot because you can't be hot-headed at work. I mean, what are you kidding me? The other thing that they say is you could size up the grievances, right? So you, you think to yourself, someone drew to you, and you think, you know what? This is a waste of emotional energy for me. Do, do I really want to waste my emotional energy on this? Or does this rude, is this rudeness so severe that I need to confront it? So I guess it's a little like the first thing. It's not like, am I losing my cool? It's like, I'm going to think about the emotional gravitas of the situation and do I need to confront them okay the other thing is they say listen empathize with the rude person don't take it personally so somebody makes some passive aggressive asshole comment of, you know oh I'm sure it was you that jammed the printer against Susan right don't take it personally Susan because maybe that person's having a bad day maybe that person married somebody that's just like one of their psychotic parents or something, and they are just having a shitty day and taking it out on the world, and you, Susan, are unfortunately in the line of fire. So you can empathize with her, you know, you can, or not her. You can empathize with the person that's telling you that Susan, you jammed up the printer, right? Just And they, you know, just feel sorry for her. Be nice. Don't be an asshole. Oh, I'm going to say a prayer for you, but you know what I mean. I, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you're at work and you say to somebody, I'm going to say a prayer for you. You know how people say that? Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I'm going to say a prayer for you. That drives me freaking up the wall. Nobody's ever said that to me at work. But in my personal life, oh, I'm going to pray for you, Elise. Oh, really? You are? That's so great. Why don't you pray for yourself, you nut job? Okay? And that's not, and by the way, I am Catholic, I should say. So I'm not, I'm not against prayer or anything like that. I just don't need people praying for me. Like, pray for me on your own time to yourself in private don't not tell me you're praying for me because you're basically telling me that
that there's something wrong and you, you need to like, give me a break. Anyway, so the other way about rudeness is lead by example. And, you know, like, so rudeness is contagious. If someone's rude to you, you're obviously going to be rude right back or you might want to be rude right back. But they say, you know, like, just rise above, rise above, um, you know, and listen, if you're, if you're quick witted and you can be witty, that's even great. If that's even more great, I cannot, if somebody's rude to me, I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, uh, what just happened? You know, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I'm not thinking, oh, let me dig into my, my, my Mary Poppins satchel of witty remarks. Like, no, of course I'm not thinking that. But, um, you know, the last thing, the last thing that I read about this is just shrug that shit off and just let it roll off your back, roll off your back. And I, listen, I think everybody can let rude coworkers and people in general roll off our back. I think we can all let these, these, these folks and those comments roll right on down the road. However, if there's somebody that's important to you of importance or that, you know, you're working on a project with them, you have to rely on them, you have to depend on them. I mean, my God, how are you supposed to let things just roll off your shoulder? Or maybe, maybe, maybe there's somebody that you looked up to, right? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's somebody that's really successful that you admire, you know, or you think of as a mentor and then they're rude. How are you supposed to let that roll off your shoulder? It's almost impossible, in my opinion, not to take work things personally or to, to, to have your emotions, you know, come into play and work. But, 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 but you gotta, but you gotta, it took me a really long time to, um, to get that, to get that lesson learned. It took me a very bad layoff, okay, to understand that you just can't take it personally, anything that comes to work. Unfortunately, you know, the thing is, is these companies, they want you to rah-rah, shish, goombah. You look at Google, you know, you can bring your dog, you can bring your laundry, you can eat all your meals there, you can do yoga there. You basically, you're just short of having a cot and sleeping over, and I'm sure that people have cots there. But they want you to do this whole thing. But then once you're in the environment, you have to just sort of still play the game. I don't care how, how, how often you could wear jeans to work and how, how many perks that the company has. I mean, really? You know? So how do you expect somebody to, to, to do all of their personal life things, obligations and chores and all that stuff at work and spend so much time at work? But then you were supposed to, we're supposed to still be unemotional, you know, and, not, and let things roll off. It's impossible. But you have to train yourself. It's like, it's like getting in shape. It's like getting a six pack, which I do not have, which I do not have. But, um, yeah, it's hard. I did learn how to do it eventually, but it did take a really bad experience for me to say, okay, for all you Rudy Rudes out there, I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm going to try really hard not to be rude back or get my emotions involved or get affected. I'm going to be a robot, right? Anyway. Okay. So I need to tell you about this product. I feel like I've spoken a lot about products today, but this, this is a good one. This is a really good one. So I love, you know what I love? I wonder if you, you probably love them too. Like, you know, when you go in somebody's house and you look on the wall and they have this gorgeous like collage of photos. I just love that. Right. And I've, I've done that like in, in apartments I lived in around, but I've always like, I always did it like shitty. You know, I just like never, I, you know, I don't need, I never knew how to do it. You know, they're all in crazy-ass places, or I buy the frames at Home Goods, and, you know, there's, like, D-hooks on the back of the frames, or some of the frames don't really hang on the wall, and I'm trying to jerry-rig it, you know? Anyway, I was in Walmart. You're going to die. And I found these picture frames. 
they're, this is the, what they're called, mainstay 8 by 10 8 by 10 inch white format frames. So let me, let me tell you, let me back up a little bit. So I did this collage on my daughter's wall with these frames, right? And I have like, I want to say maybe 12 pictures, right? Like, like rows of three, um, in this big giant square on their wall. And they're these beautiful eight by 10 pictures that I had developed as I do with so many beautiful pictures and I never frame them. And I was looking for frames and I was getting so caught up in the color, and then I started looking at these frame companies online. I think there's like FrameBridge or some of these companies. You go online, it's like sixty dollars for one frame, and it, you know, so if you're framing twelve pictures, um, hello, that's a lot of dough. So I know that there are these frames called format frames. It's just a style of picture frame. The frame itself, it's um, you know, it 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 has a glass or a plastic, you know, cover, you know, like glass encasing thing. But the frame itself is very thin. So you're not really buying the frame because a format frame because you want a statement frame. You're buying it because you just want to put the picture on the wall and you really want it to be all about the picture. So the format frame has a, such a thin, thin line of metal of frame. And typically they come in black. So like if you're ever in the city or if you live in the city river and you go, you're walking down Fifth Avenue and you see all those pictures and the frames of like, you know, New York City scapes, they're usually, they usually frame them in these format frames. And the reason why is because they're cheap, they're easy, they don't break. Well, they do break because I did break one, but they, they're, they're hard to break and, um, and it, you're not focused on the frame. It's not about the frame. It's about the picture. Anyway, so I know that these black format frames exist. I was looking for them on Amazon. I didn't want black, though. I wanted white because my daughter's bedroom is light colors, white furniture, whatever. So I looked, and I and it, what happened to come up was Walmart. So these main, the brand is Mainstay. You know, that's their brand. 8 by 10 white format frame. Listen to the price. $1.95. One, yes, $1.95 per frame. That's right. So what I'm saying to you is... For 10 pictures, it's costing you $20, right? I mean, can you imagine? For my 12 pictures, it cost me $24 in frames. That is insane. It's so cheap. It's like I, it's like free. It almost feels like free. You go in Home Goods, you could buy frames for $9.99 each. You go to FrameBridge, you're spending $60 on one frame. I framed 12 pictures for $24 anyway. I'm telling you, you got to look into them. They sell out all the time in white. So you got to like look on Walmart's website a lot. Or you can look in the Walmart store. I don't have one near me. But I did go to a Walmart once out of the city, and I found it there. And why am I saying Walmart weird? It's wa- Walmart. You know, the thing is, because I don't really pronounce my R's, you know, it's Walmart. I sound crazy. Anyway, so 8 by 10 it has it's front-loading. Okay, it has a gla- these frames have a glass front, so it's not it's not plastic. They snap together, so like you put the, the you put the picture in, you snap the glass, and you kind of snap the frame on, so it's super easy. And you can hang them horizontal or vertical. And the frame itself, the format piece, the actual frame, it is not metal; it's plastic. And who gives a shit? They are so good. I totally, totally recommend. Anyway. So, okay, questions. So every week I take um, a couple of questions from my TikTok audience and I answer them on the podcast and I try my best to answer them. So here is the first question. Hi, Elise. I was texting this guy. He said he would call, dur- he said he would call, but during the day he wasn't feeling well. Then by 8 p.m. he said he needed rest and he'd call me the next day. 
Then the next day, the biggest game was on the World Series, and he didn't call again. What should I do? Should I ignore him or just leave it, or should I say something? Thanks. Okay. Do you know what I think you should do? Do nothing! Nothing! <laughs> you can't do anything. I know you want to. Like, and you also didn't say, is this a new relationship? You know, I'm assuming you went on a couple dates with him or whatever. Or were you just text? He said, you said in the beginning, I was texting this guy. Did you just text him no dates? Like you met him online, no dates yet? Look, the reality situation is, if this was me, and I either went out on one date or three dates, or I just met somebody off of one of the apps and we're just texting, if a man says that he's going to call me, and then he, at the time, at a specific time, during the day and then the evening and then the next day, and he doesn't call, I am not calling him. You can't give me money to make a phone call to him. Now, I think I said this before on past episodes about texting because the same rules apply to texting, whether it's a phone call or text. Now, a past version of myself, okay, would have been blowing up the phone, right? But I'm not doing that anymore, and you shouldn't either. You 100% do it. I think that you need to, for whatever reason, ignore, for whatever, whatever, not for whatever reason, however you can do it, ignore him. Forget he doesn't exist. Get yourself busy. Go talk to another guy that you that you want to meet on Match, on your Match app or whatever, and just start talking to him to preoccupy your time. Get yourself a man distraction and ignore this other guy. And you want to know what? Here's the thing: when he does call you, do you do you want to be with somebody like this? Do you really want to talk to somebody? Do you want to have a relationship with somebody like this? Somebody that says they're gonna call and then doesn't? Because let me tell you something. Okay, let me share something with you. My boyfriend, okay, when I met him, um, you know, well, I shouldn't say when I met him, but when we, when we got together, when we eventually got together later, later on after I knew him, um, he, he, he's not, he's not the type to, um, call a lot and he's not the type to text a lot, but especially, you know, in the beginning. And, uh, but one of the things that he did do is if he said he was going to text me, if he said he was going to call me, he did it. He did it. And if he did not do it, he, he, he told me why, you know, and he usually would like say shortly after, you know, Oh, Hey, sorry. I said I was going to call, you know, I couldn't, I was in a meeting, whatever. Did I believe his fucking load of shit sometimes? Of course not. Of course not. But he did say it. And the thing is, is that that was important to me because that's consistency. He was always consistent. If he said he was going to call, he was going to call text the same thing. And if he didn't, he gave me a reason. He did not leave me hanging. Um, he's also older than me. And so I think that that sometimes comes with maybe dating an older guy. I don't know. But, um, for you, I think you just gotta wait it out. And if, and so listen, and I don't, you know, you sent this, this question to me maybe a week ago. And so if he did come back around and he did eventually call you, listen, I think good, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. Have a great time with him. You know, if you want, if it doesn't bother you, you know, I would, continue to chat with him but if he does this shit again I, I think you gotta rethink the situation here come on because you're 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 probably a great girl you're valuable your time is val you're valuable your patience is valuable and if he pulls this shit again i'm gonna call you oh i'm too tired oh, i don't feel good all oh, the world series come on come on you 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 should find somebody better than that if he does this again anyway okay question two elise how do you know if I should go to therapy? I'm married for six years, together for 10. We have two young kids. He sees a therapist, and I've recently left work to care for the kids. 
I feel like I'm okay, but some days are hard and there isn't a lot of alone time for me. I'm wondering if some maybe light therapy would help ease the hard days. I guess I'm just struggling with not having alone time, personal insecurities, too codependent, and a lot of people to talk and not a lot of people to talk to. Any suggestions appreciated to pull me out of this funk. Thank you. Oh my God. Whoever you are, I can so relate to this on so many levels. You need to go to therapy. Not because there's anything wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. I think that there's two types. Let me just say this. I think there's two types of sort of mindsets um, that I tend to come across. And it's people that are super pro-therapy and people that are sort of anti-therapy. And I think that that um, is on how your parents were. Like my ex-husband, his parents did not think therapy was anything worth worth anything. But my mother always thought that therapy um, was important. So he, my, my ex, didn't think it was necessary. And I think it's the best thing ever. So I want to say that. I think in this day and age, everybody just should go to therapy. Like if you're in, and I'm not saying stretch yourself out, but I think if your insurance covers it, go to therapy. If your insurance doesn't cover it, you should know that most therapists do work on a sliding scale. I think you should go. And this is why, because even if, even if you were not in a funk, okay, you just had a big transition. You were working and you left your job. Whether you were a CEO or of a company or you were a marketing associate or you were, you know, a teller at a bank or you were, you know, the, 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 the overnight janitor in a McDonald's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You left that job that gave you a paycheck that you went to every day that you see, see, saw the same faces and you made the, the decision to stay home. I, I actually have tears in my eyes saying this like and I like I, I really do because um. Because I, I was just, I, I went through a really similar thing. And so um, when you don't go to that place anymore and you're just home all day long with your kids, like, I'm sorry, that's hard. That's really hard. So you should go to therapy just on that, just on that basis alone, right? But like, aside from that, you know, you, like your husband goes, your husband goes and he obviously gets benefit out of it. I mean, and maybe he has some big issue that happened to him or some big trauma or whatever, and that's why he goes and it's sort of been part of his regimen for a long time. Well, you want to know what? Make it your regimen. Self-care is essential. If you want to be a good mother, if you want to be a good person in society, if you want to be a good worker in your company, I believe, and I live by this, I believe that you need to have therapy. And I'm not saying you, you girl who wrote me the question, woman who wrote me the question. I'm saying that's like what I do, Elise. I really feel that I need that outlet, that one hour a week where I can talk in private to a, a, a licensed professional doctor, okay, that I can tell him whatever I want, whatever I'm thinking, whatever's bothering me, whatever shit's going on, I, I just tell him. And I tell him everything, by the way. I tell him things about work. I tell him things that annoy me with my kids. I talk about a lot about my family relationships that are always on the fritz. I talk about my, my, my not my, I'm talking about my, sort of my, um, my nuclear, not my, my daughters or my ex. I'm talking about like my mother, my sisters, that sort of thing. Um, I talked to him about my boyfriend. I talked to him about dating. I mean, I, I talked to him about weight loss, weight gain, literally everything. Um, I really think that you would benefit from it because of the self-care aspect. And I think that it's just nice to have that safe space to talk to somebody. Um, you know, I don't know where you live or what your deal is, but you know, 
once my friends and I started having our babies, everybody became so busy. I've done TikToks about it and I, you know, make jokes about it, but everybody became so busy. Nobody had, my girlfriend didn't have time to talk on the phone anymore. Um, and I don't even have time to talk on the phone a lot, you know? Um, and having that one person, that therapist to talk to was all the more valuable to me. Um, but as I also got older, not that I don't value the conversations that I have with my girlfriends, because I do, and I would love to talk to them more. If you're listening, call me. Um, but I would love to talk to them more, and I'd love to talk to them you know, every day if I was able to. But as I got older and the problems, just life struggles, just life things, you know, just the buckets, the weights that fall on you, the life, the kids and bills and all this kind of stuff, as that stuff tends to weigh you down, you I believe that I needed for me somebody that was professional to like help me, um, like a doctor to help me get through some of these thoughts. Cause my friends are great to lend an ear and be like, yeah, he fucking sucks. Yeah. Fuck that. You want to make chicken for dinner? Just fucking who cares? Go get, go get some chicken nuggets, throw in the oven. Like my girlfriend did great for that kind of shit. But I want to talk to somebody that like could really help me and, and, um, and not, not just so I could vent to, but so we can talk about what can I do different with myself, how can I react differently to my situation so I could feel better? Or what do I need to do for myself to make me feel better about this situation? What is it exercise? Is it just talking to you, therapist, you know, whatever. But the other thing um, that I want to say about this is that um, is not necessarily tied to the leaving, you know, is it the, the husband in therapy and, or just should you or should you not go to therapy? I just want to say that, um, again, I don't know what your job was, but I, I had a job, uh, for eight years that I loved. I just, I, for whatever reason, I loved it. And, um, you know, but it had its ups and downs, right? But I, but I had a great time there. Um, my coworkers there became sort of like family members. And, you know, what wound up happening was I wound up getting laid off from this job. And I just mentioned that earlier, but it was the most devastating thing to me. Um, I had my children while I was at this job, you know, so like I was pregnant with both of my daughters while I was working there. And, you know, I, they would, it was just, it was just like a fan. It was just sort of like a family environment. And I didn't, so I didn't make the choice to leave, to go into home, to take care of my kids like you did. But what happened to me was I got laid off and obviously a layoff was devastating when you're working for somewhere for eight years and you, you know, you love your coworkers and you love, love sort of the routine and what you're doing and all that. And you feel, and you've had your kids there and they went through these big milestones in your life with you. So it's different than making the decision to leave. But what I can say is that I think that we underestimate how um, important the job is, you know, whether you get laid off or you get fired or you decide to leave. Like, it's all nice when you're at work sitting in your cube thinking like, is this what really life is about? Shouldn't I just go home and make rainbow cakes and Pinterest crafts and just be a better mom? And, you know, or, or how about, how about, how about the real reality situations? Shouldn't I go home because it's cheaper for me to stay home than it is for me to work, you know, sort of thing, which a lot of people go through is, you know, these are all very real, but like, so you make this big decision to stay home or you, or you lose your job. But I think that we underestimate how important the job is. Um, and, and for that alone, I think that, you know, you need some time for yourself. So, okay. That's my thought on that. Sorry if that was a little long. Okay. Closing it out with a quote of the day. I love this quote. You are going to love it. It's by Atticus. She was powerful, not because she wasn't scared, but because she went on so strongly despite the fear. How great is that? So that's 
that's all for today's episode of the Elise DeLucci Show. Thank you for listening as always. And remember, you can tell your friends that they can join our fun on um, the Elise DeLucci Show. And they could listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're listening and you want to give me a review on Apple Podcasts, I love that. If you want to write a review, that's so awesome. Um, it really does mean a lot to me. I do take a lot of time to um, put these episodes together. I do a lot of research. I talk to a lot of people. Um, I, it's just a passion project of mine. I, I really love it. So any reviews is and, and, and more listeners is just so awesome. Thank you. Anyway, stay tuned. Stay tuned um, for our next episode. Happy almost election day. Hope you had a good Halloween. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.